Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality, and I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. Today, it's one of the biggest names in our industry, Brent Montgomery. Brent made big headlines back in 2014 when he sold a big chunk of his company left field to ITV. And at the time, that was widely considered the biggest payday in an unprecedented deal. You can Google it for the details. Brent started his company with $10,000. And soon he was creating, producing hits like Pawn Stars and American Restoration for History Channel. He was always a shrewd businessman. He was making strategic moves when he started his company that would pay huge dividends later on. We get into all of that and how he went from getting bought by ITV to running ITV to now starting his latest venture all over again. Ben? Yes. You're here. Hello. Good morning. It was so easy to get you here. It only took <laughs> us a year of back and forth. I'm s- uh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I'm just so glad we made it happen. No, I'm very excited to be here. Great. Great to uh, sit down with you. Finally. Yeah, we tried to make it work in New York at some point, but now you're out in L.A. for a few months, so... Yeah, I, I always try to time it perfectly for the winter. It's, uh, Very it's, smart. Very smart. My my buddy Adam Scher said to me the other day, he's like, now that you've tasted the sweet nectar <laughs> of L.A. in the winter, it's going to be hard for you to, to not have it when your kids are actually in school. It's so true. It really it, it gives you a thin skin immediately. <laughs> it, it does. It does. There's just something about walking to the beach uh, when your friends are getting snowed on and complaining that just makes you feel like you made the right decision. Make, I say I always say it makes up for the traffic and the mud slides and the earthquakes. <laughs> yeah, you guys have had quite the run. It's uh, been insane. It's been insane. So I always start by saying how I met my guest. So I was thinking about this on the drive in, like, how do I meet Brent? So we, we kind of knew each other, you know, very vaguely through the years. And then we officially met in your offices at Left Field probably three years ago. Yeah. Um, and I was looking to move out to L.A. I hadn't yet. And uh, and I was thinking that when we talked, you had a very sharp way of, you know, I kind of gave you my whole spiel and you were like, oh, OK, so you're the you're a producer, you're an entrepreneur, you're the, like you immediately sort of sized me up and got me. Um, and that really impressed me because I felt a like you were listening and b that you just your mind was kind of rolling, you know, a minute ahead, which I love. Like I love someone that immediately sort of gets it and gets the big picture right away. So. I was very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's nice to hear. No, I, I think when whenever I sit down with somebody, I, I, I love to know what their short-term immediate goals are and then what their long-term goals are. And, you know, we I can't always give away what our long-term goals are um, for various reasons. But, you know, really, I, I always look at people as how, can you know, if, if there's a connection and uh, there's talent. Uh, I'm always thinking to myself, how can how can this person fit into our short term needs and then into our bigger vision? Because I have a a big saying around the office, which is replace yourself. And you know, we can't grow as a company or a group of companies if the if the people aren't willing to replace themselves. And uh, you know, a lot of people say the right things and then you know don't always uh, adhere to what they said. So I think trying to like get to the immediate answers for me always helps me to kind of guide how we can actually work together because, you know, there's a lot of people who will just say, uh, we should work together, we should work together, but you have to actually figure out ways to make it happen. And that's my, my favorite thing is probably figuring out the chess pieces and, and organizing teams and having chemistry within a team because to me that that's, you know, it all starts right there. That's amazing. And I think that's also 
kind of a rare skill. Like for someone who's like you, who's come, we'll talk about this, but who's come up as a producer, who's a creative, you know, having the business side and sort of the managerial side is a whole other ball of wax, which we'll get into, right? Yeah. And not that many people are really good at that, like you said, in terms of the bigger vision and how everything's going to play as a chess game. So I feel like to get, to be able to sort of, do the nuts and bolts of what we do in terms of shows and creative and selling and producing and all of that, but also have that bigger vision, which, you know, you clearly have. I feel like that's a really blessed skill set to have, to, to be able to combine both those things. I mean, that's why you're one of the very few who's been able to do what you do. Well, uh, thank you very much. That's very kind. I think— um, It's the last nice thing I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, you know, I, I grew up more as an entrepreneur, always, like— you know, I had some sort of scheme going, uh, you know, from the time <laughs> I was, uh, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years old selling uh, not just lemonade, but other anything I could I could sell that I could find and flip over. And then I got in trouble a lot in school for selling stuff. No, no drugs. I was selling. Um, that was later. Yeah. No, I was buying stuff from um, Sam's Wholesale, candy and different things, and then just marking it up. And and then I really got into my real first business, which was baseball cards, which taught me a ton about business, which is I was in, I think I started in seventh and eighth grade and it would be me uh, at these card shows with my father driving me there. And if I, if I didn't have my dad's support, uh, I wouldn't have been able to get there because I couldn't drive. <laughs> and uh, Uber was a few years off. <laughs> but we we would pay five, seven hundred dollars to have a table and sell and sell baseball cards. And. My competitive advantage at that point was I had more free time than all the adults who were doing this as uh, their second jobs and hobbies. So I was able to track players just like you would stocks. And, uh, you know, I learned quite a bit. But the what I, the biggest mistake I made was uh, not understanding that the market was going to be flooded and it was going to kind of poof, disappear overnight, which would come in handy down the road when, uh, you know, Unscripted started to take a whack. I was like, all right. <laughs> pivoting, pivoting. Yes, yes. <laughs> Must pivot. Well, yes. how old? Okay, where were you? I know you went to school in Texas. I saw that on Wikipedia. Yeah. Is I, that where you grew up? I, I was, I'm a military brat. Okay. And um, I spent most of my youth in Texas, but I also spent a little time in uh, the beautiful desert, uh, Victorville. Um, out where? east. I don't know where is Victorville. That? Oh, it's it's on the way to Vegas. You would have. Oh, okay. Maybe uh, stopped to. <laughs> that were like the dead bodies get deposited. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just making it's sure. It's <laughs> not the most beautiful part of California. Um, okay. And then where else? Did I, I I was born in Phoenix. I lived in uh just lived there for a few years, and then I lived. Uh, my dad worked at the Pentagon for a little bit, so we lived in Maryland and uh, in Ohio. But most of, most of my life was spent in San Antonio. And then I went to college at Texas A&M. Okay, so I have to ask. I've had a few military brats yeah. on. I've had Jenny Daly. Um, I believe Robin Latiker Johnson is also a military brat. What What do you think the biggest lesson, or like, how did that help you or hurt you in terms of like who made making you who you are? You know, I, I don't even think I really realized what it did for me until the last couple of years. Um, being a military brat, uh, you move some, and you have to adapt, and you have to fit in. In different groups. And, you know, when you're young and the schools line up six or nine months differently, that's actually a tremendous amount of time. I remember being like the one of the more immature kids in Texas. And then I moved to um, outside D.C. And I was one because of the age, I was actually more uh, mature than some of my classmates. And then I immediately downgraded and um, to their level. And, and I think <laughs> I've stayed there ever since. Um, but I think that adapting and also I'm, I'm a huge team sport guy. 
Um, I'm, I, I really believe in the military mantra of, you know, we're all in this together. You know, I feel like your employees have to see you doing the same things that they're doing if you're going to ask them to do it. Um, and I've really enjoyed working with, uh, mil- you know, military folks. I've done a yeah. couple series that that <clears throat> deal with the military. And, and then also, ironically, with with people that have been in the WWE, because I think— yeah. um, <laughs> Same skills. Yeah, they, they run that like a military operation. Oh, nice. And, uh, you know, you work with somebody like John Cena, and yeah. he— uh, he takes that approach and attitude. It's it's pretty incredible. Was he in the military? He wasn't. He has he has. Uh, I believe some of his brothers were. Okay. And he's just a huge supporter. Yeah, he's just huge. You stop it, huge. Yeah, he's he's just huge. <laughs> I was uh, I, I was laughing. We were having so l- we we're having lunch and. Uh, I didn't realize he had a bodyguard with him when we get up to leave. And I'm like, you know, your bodyguard, you got about 175 pounds on your bodyguard. <laughs> Something's wrong with that picture. Yeah. It's probably just impossible to find someone bigger, right? That, that's right. That's, that's the best right. he's going to do. Okay, so you go to college, and then what did you study in college, and did you feel like TV was going to be on the horizon or not? No, I, I had a, you know, I really excelled in college. I, I, I was asked to leave after uh, my uh, sophomore, my first uh, first semester of my sophomore year. Um, I just, I, I had a Another common theme on the podcast, by the way. <laughs> um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And yeah. like an idiot, I, I just signed up for whatever classes some of my friends were taking. Some of my friends were older, and I signed up for a 400-level econ class. I mean, it might as well, it was in Greek to me. And so <laughs> I really, I, I, I kind of was doing business. I was used to being at a smaller school. Uh, I, I didn't start at A&M, and then all of a sudden I'm in 500-people classes. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And um, I... So I, I, I was actually uh, suspended for a semester um, because of academics, and I went <laughs> home. Um, I, convinced, I I went home, and every day I would look for the mail to get that letter before my parents did. <laughs> it's a full-time job. Yeah, and I got it, and I convinced okay. them that I missed them, that I wanted to be home with them <laughs> for that great. semester. And they bought it? They bought it, um, <laughs> which is pretty amazing. Uh, I See, also was dating a, a girl. testament to being yes. a good salesperson. Yes, yes. <laughs> Okay, some so, say sales, some say bullshit artists. Yeah, whatever. Um, All uh, the same. No, I I convinced. Um, so I convinced them of that, and then uh, I was going to a community college, and I really I really didn't have any direction. And my dad came home, and he's like, "Do you want to? Um, you should try to intern for. Uh, you you love sports?" And I said yes. And he goes, "You should try to intern for the um, NBC affiliate." And our pastor's son was the sportscaster, and. To me, television was a million miles away, and yeah. you could never get that job. And uh, and then I went in, and I said I'd work for free. And they said, you know, can you come in tomorrow? And I started, uh, you know, probably the most fun job I've I've ever had, uh, which was covering uh, the San Antonio Spurs, huge fan of them, uh, the Dallas Cowboys, Houston Oilers uh, team they had back then, and uh, I, I wanted to be a sportscaster. Yeah. And and then I found out what they got paid and where they'd have to live. <laughs> And, yeah, yeah $13,000 in Des Moines. And I said, you know what? Let's go to New York or L.A. I'd, I'd been in L.A. a bunch. I went up visited New York and really, <clears throat> really loved it. And it was it was as cheesy as this is a cheesy story. But I went I don't think I'd ever gone to see a movie by myself, but I had heard about these two guys that had written this movie and they were acting in this movie. Goodwill hunting. Yeah, it was Goodwill hunting. And I went and I saw it and then I went back home. I was so inspired. You went to Harvard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. went to Harvard. I cleaned up the uh <laughs> Always. Took a janitorial job. They did not let me go into the classroom. No, I, I went back and I convinced my my best friend uh, that we were going to move to New York, and so we moved up. And I mean, you couldn't have been less prepared to move to New York than we were. 
How many dollars in your pocket? You know, I I had I had worked after I'd interned at NBC uh, or an NBC affiliate. I yeah. went and um, I got a job as a camera operator at the CBS affiliate in College Station, which is where Texas A and M is. So I worked uh, full time. Um, so I was working forty hours a week and going to school and not making good grades. But I was told by everybody, you don't really need your degree for television. Um, <laughs> I took that quite literally. Still true. <laughs> was very proud to graduate with a two point three. And uh, and I'd saved I'd saved enough money to buy two XL1 cameras, um, an editing system that no longer exists called the Casablanca. Mm. It it had a whopping 12 gigs of memory. (laughs) So uh, so we moved up and our we felt like what we were going to be able to do was be the best wedding videographers in New York City. I mean, and, and for not a, a saturated bit, market. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's what we were for a while was wedding videographers. And why weddings? Um, they, we, were, we had read somewhere um, that you could make X amount of money. Um, and I mean, it was a lot, you know, by shooting these weddings. What we didn't realize was we had zero connections and we would never get our own wedding. So we had to go work <laughs> for somebody else. So, so you were an apprentice to a wedding videographer. Well, I would no, we we were wedding videographers, but for a company. So Got we it. would make I would make about two hundred and twenty five dollars for what was twelve or fourteen hours worth of oh work. Oh my god! Yeah, this did not sound like the shrewd businessman yeah, yeah. Brent Montgomery. So uh, j- just to sh- fast track this story, yeah. um, I then very luckily met uh, a woman um, and a, and a, amongst some friends who was working at Fox. Uh, this woman Tess Gamboa and. She helped us get me and uh, another buddy get over into the Fox um, world, and we worked on a Fox Network show. Really? Um, yeah, just as a production assistant. And what was the show? It was called Fox Files. Uh, and I remember Fox. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah, I worked for Fox way back. Yeah. Wait, what was the name? It was was that run by Andy Rooney's daughter? No, uh, no, it was run by a woman named Pam Brown. Um, and it was it was under Roger Ailes. Yeah, I, so I know. <laughs> that's where I first met Roger. And that was like a news magazine show for Fox, right? It was. It was. Yeah. It was kind of like their. Ver- it was a right. Fox version of Dateline. Yeah, um, I remember. But it well. it, yeah, I think we, we did one season, or yeah. one or two seasons. I remember. And then and then you know that was my only staff job. It was the only time I had a health insurance um, throughout my entire career until you know we start providing at left field. Right. It after that show uh, got went kaput, it was great for me because now I had a hundred contacts in New York City and they went all over the place and uh, that kind of helped lead to, you know, my next several freelance jobs. And so what were you at that point? Like you were a shooter, but you were a producer? I, I was... Jack of all trades? I, you know... <laughs> like how yes. did you consider yourself? How were you selling yourself? Well, I, I when I when I wanted to be a sportscaster, <laughs> I asked people, what, what do I have to do? And they said, you have to learn how to shoot because yeah. you're, you're going to have to be your own camera yeah. person. Um, and, I, and I did a little bit of reporting in college. I did a lot of producing, but that was at a local level, which meant absolutely nothing uh, to any New York-based uh, production company or network. Um, and then I started, to, I loved editing. As a, you know, as a local news person, you had to edit your own packages. Right. And t- that's where I really started to, like, find um, what I thought was my calling, which was storytelling. And um, I learned very quickly that post is really where you have the most influence. Um, but you know, when I'm sure it's the same with you, when we started, the business was very different. Um, there were smaller orders. I mean, there were, we're back to very small orders, um, (laughs) but you, you did everything right. You pre-produced, you produced, you came back and you post-produced. And then, uh, when, you know, during the boon of, of unscripted, you go back into like 08 or nine, et cetera. All of a sudden you're getting 26, 50, uh, 
100 episodes of, uh, you know, of a show like Pawn Stars, you can't have the same people doing all those. So you start to compartmentalize everything. And that's great when you have a large order. But the industry now is trying to use some of that same model to make smaller orders and it's and we're all running into a lot of trouble. Oh God, Brett, we need another podcast for that. <laughs> That's a whole <laughs> other ball of wax to talk about. But okay, let's let's go linearly. So during the freelancer, is that where you met my cousin Sarah Cantor at yeah. Lion? Oh my God, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I I I worked for almost every New York City um, nice. production company. You worked for Sharp. Was I, Sharp in existence? I did yet? not work for Matt. I think you no. Know, I think Matt and I probably started our companies around the same time. Oh, okay. Um. But I worked for Atlas. I worked yeah. for RDF. I worked for um, Granada, which was which yeah. ITV. Right. Um, <laughs> BBC America. Uh, yeah, you were all around. You bounced everywhere. Around. And then, and then I got a couple of my first, my first big gig um, was working for David Garfinkel, even though I, you know, I was nineteen rungs below him um, mm-hmm. on Blind Date. I was field producing hey, Blind Date. What a good show! Oh my god, it was, so, <laughs> it was the best. It was the best show to learn because yeah. you had to come out with a story. Yeah. In six hours. And, you know, that forced me to learn how to produce and not just, you know, be a fly on the wall. Yeah. And, you know, we went through that stretch where everything was more heavily produced. And I think that show more than any taught me that. And then you go work on a show like The Bachelor, which is the exact opposite. You go from having like a four or five person right. um, crew <laughs> right. to several hundred yeah. And that was really good to see, you know, to be a, a very small cog in the wheel. Uh, uh, totally. So at what point, so I guess the legend goes, according to Wikipedia, that you started Left Field with $10,000 in your pocket. So what made you want to start your own company? Did Pawn Stars happen after you started Left Field, or is that what made you start? Like, let's get to the real story. Yeah, no, I. there was the story I like to tell after we sold Pawn Stars, which is we sold our first show in 2008, and, you know, we're this new hot company. Um. Then after we had success, I like to tell the real story because it <laughs> because people are like, oh, it came too easy. Um, I started the company in 02, okay. and I, I just wanted to tell my own stories. Yeah. And I didn't even know how to do that, what it meant. I went out and I took a year off. Um, and I, I mean, I lived in an apartment, two-bedroom apartment with five people. So uh, my Whoa. cost of living wasn't all that high. <laughs> um so I basically took a year and, and spent it uh, producing a pilot um, that would become the basis for creating left field out of because I had so much fun making my own, you know, my own idea. What I didn't know was there was something called a sizzle reel um, <laughs> right, I was that, say, that I could have probably taken a month off and done that. <laughs> um, so I had the, but I had this this pilot and I started taking it around town and I and I through that process, I met, you know, some of the best agents in the business who are still, you know, crushing it. Um, and, 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 and all of a sudden I was like known as a, a young hustler and people didn't know it necessarily. I couldn't sell the project because we took it in and MTV said, Oh, we're working on something just like that. Mm. Sure enough, they were, uh, it was jackass. And then, oh, uh, God. and then we had a pitch with NBC on a, um, on a Monday. And I remember seeing the promo for a very similar show. Uh, which I can't remember the name of now, uh, on a Saturday, on Saturday night. So I can't. And you had spent a year. I spent a year. I spent a year, which was a very valuable lesson, which was diversify, diversify, <laughs> have more ideas than one. Um, but I, but at that point I knew this is it. Like I've got to, I've got to make my own ideas. Yeah. Um, but because I didn't sell it and I didn't have any money, I had to go back and keep working for the man. Right. And so I had this life where I was working 
you know, you know how hard we work in Unscripted. Mm-hmm. You're working 50, 60 hours a week on whatever show I was working on. Right. And then nights and weekends, I was going to this little basement that we had rented that wasn't meant for commercial use, uh, that didn't have heat, so it was very <laughs> cold during the winter, and uh, working on our own projects. So from 02 to 07, um, we did a, we did we we did weddings, we did bat mitzvahs, we uh, rented gear, um, and more. The most important thing I think we did at the time was we threw parties. Yeah. And so a lot of people in New York knew us because like and I can't remember what we called them now, but it was Left Field Presents or something. And it was hard for me to get meetings with network execs, but by having those parties, uh, we started getting people, uh, you know, in our ecosphere that we wouldn't have otherwise. And then finally. Um, in 08, we, we sold our first show, um, the principal's office, to to Marissa Ronka. And she, it, it, well, we sold two shows kind of around the same time. Another show called Bridal Boot Camp yeah. uh, to, to Melanie Moreau yeah. and Nicole Zion at uh, CMT. Yeah. And, and so all of a sudden we were doing, we went from no shows to two shows. We had done a lot of like small things. Right. We'd but, partnered, right. We'd, we'd partnered with people, which, you know, I always think is important. Yeah, before, the beginning, before, of yeah. course. But these were your own shows that you sold to series. Yeah, finally, yeah. people were crazy enough to give us right. money, and well, then it was. But, but it was. But I love about just to stop you for a second because mm. I always try to point out the teaching moments. Um, and I we just heard a quote from Kevin Hart the other day saying, "Yeah, I'm an 18 year overnight success story," <laughs> and and it's true what you say because. Um, you didn't get lucky. It wasn't an overnight thing for you. You were toiling for those five years where you basically were spinning your wheels trying to get stuff done till finally something. No, hit. if you look at my social security um, <laughs> thing when it comes through, there were there were three years uh, where I made I think nine, fourteen, and eighteen thousand dollars, and right. and that's why when people are like, oh yeah, you you know I should have done what you did. I should have sold my you know I should have sold a company. I'm like. I don't. My twenties were horrible. Yeah. I, I worked like my thirties were great. My forties have been fun, yeah. but my twenties, I, I didn't go out. Yeah, we. I, I worked every yeah. single day, every single night. Well, this will be the recurring theme that we're gonna find in your career is that you bet on yourself. Yeah. So, Pawn Stars happens. How does? Let's tell the Pawn Stars story. So uh, I want to say one thing yeah, yeah, before, please. and I may have said this to you when we met, but I, I was thinking I want to make sure that I tell you this because I think a lot of people give our industry shit for churning out a lot of crap or, you know, uh, uh, unsocially redeemable programming. But um, I I think I did tell you this. So my husband about uh, seven years ago hurt his back so badly. He had to get like three surgeries. He was, do you remember that? Yeah. He, he was debilitated basically. And he's, you know, he's in amazing shape and it like basically crippled him. He was on tons of medication. He couldn't work. The only thing that got him through was Pawn Stars, American Restoration, and Counting Cars. He would just watch them all day long to the point where when he finally got better, he wanted to celebrate our anniversary by going to Vegas and going on set. <laughs> and Jordy, our friend, hooked me up, you know, with all the set visits. They were all, we spent hours with them. And I mean, I'm just, just cry thinking about it because it's like, yeah, this is how I want to spend my anniversary on a set, you know? Like, I do that every day. But it meant so much to him. So, like, from your brain to something that, like, actually affected a real grown man's life, it really meant something to us. So I want you to know that. No, that's that's awesome to hear. I mean, you you know, we, you know, when when we're, you know, when we have our bad days, I think you always have to remember um, we make TV and uh, and people watch it and people enjoy it. And, yeah. you know, we sometimes they don't watch it and they don't enjoy it. But <laughs> but but F them. <laughs> but what you know, what an amazing uh job that we all have who work in this industry. And it is, it is fun too, because they're real people, you know, and um, the, 
so the way the way Pawn Stars happened was, um, yeah, you know, people ask all the time, like, you know, how do you come up with ideas? How, how does anybody in this business come up with ideas? And uh, I'm pretty sure I've never come up with a TV show idea sitting at my desk. I, I, I would almost bet money on it. Um, and, you know, it's usually from reading something or seeing something or having a conversation with somebody who doesn't even know they're saying something that could be interesting television. Um, so I was in Las Vegas. It was uh, my buddy's uh, bachelor party. And uh, a bunch of us were, um, <laughs> I I made the, I had an idea to hire a PA um, for the weekend. I just <laughs> a thought. A PA for the bachelor party. Yes. That's awesome. And, you it's know. It's actually not the worst idea. No, it was a great idea yeah. because one, it, it kept everybody from driving. Right. Um, turns out, and this was pre-Uber, nobody wanted to go get in a car at, you know, yeah. four o'clock in the afternoon where we would wake up and, and go get um <laughs> Breakfast tacos. Bagels, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so we're in the back of the van. We're driving down the strip and uh, I'm with a, another friend and I'm like, I, you know, I wonder if anybody, we, we have to come back here. Like we're having so much fun. This is great. Um, we have to come up with a TV show idea. And we uh, we drove by a pawn shop, not the pawn shop. And mm-hmm. I said, I wonder if anybody's ever done anything on a, on a pawn shop. And so I, I went back to, to New York. I called my agent, Rob Miller, and I said, um, uh, has anybody ever pitched a, a something about a pawn shop? And and he said, I'll, I'll find out, you know. And and this is when Rob had um, Pelton, right? Yeah, Rob Pelton. Yeah, he, you know, I didn't have the, I didn't really have any relationships on the network side, so right. he started calling his relation, uh, you know, some of the guys at, at the various male networks. And the message back was, it's too seedy and, and you <laughs> right. know downtrodden. Um, so we didn't take that as a no. And I think a lot of people would have said, all right, we'll, we'll take that as a no. We, I had my, um, uh, a woman who, uh, was, was working in development, uh, come into my office. I said, please call all of, um, the, the pawn shops in Vegas that are family run. And I assumed there would be two dozen for us to pick from. And this woman, um, would later become my sister-in-law. Um, and so she oh came and she's very cocky, uh, in a good way. She came back into my office and she was like, I got him. I got him. I got him. And I'm like, all right, relax. Let me see him. And she plays the video of these guys. And I'm like. These guys are, I mean, they just look, they just look repulsive. They look, they look, uh, just, <laughs> they look downtrodden and everything we just talked about. Um, yeah, perfect. Yeah. No, she then, and then she put me on the phone with them and uh, Rick, the main guy um, told, you know, he hustled me a little bit, told me there were two other parties that were right. about to sign him and I had to come out like next weekend. Right. You fell for it. Hook, line and sinker. Yeah. Yeah. We went out and uh, I shot the sizzle reel. Um, me and one other guy shot it, uh, and I saw it. Yeah, yeah. And we it was we went back, we cut it. It was not amazing. And then oh, um, the one I saw was no. And then we gave it. Um, <laughs> and I, I actually left, and I didn't really see a show. Really? Yep. And so the original iteration in that sizzle was not the sort of transactional thing. It was more like a docu soap. Well, there was so so we we have the we had this really great editor who said, "Let me give it a whack at it." Okay. And we came back in, and he took it in a different direction. He added Johnny Cash and some stuff that yeah. not everybody was doing in sizzle reels back then. And uh, <laughs> I was like, wow, that's so much better than we th- than I thought. Um, we then line up our pitches. And I and I was working with Marissa at True, and I, just, and I felt like it was probably going to be a true show. Right. But we lined up the History Channel as, uh, you know, in my mind, as a practice pitch. Um, <laughs> it's always those. <laughs> yeah, we get in there. And at that time, the biggest star on History Channel was Hitler. <laughs> and, and so 
I did not really. I mean, they had no household names or not. They had no, you know, they had no characters. Yeah, they had ice road truckers and they had axe men, but those, you know, those were such large ensembles. Right. Um, right. They weren't known for a particular character. No. And, uh, and who'd you pitch to? So we go into pitch um, Julian uh, Hobbs yeah. and uh, Charles um, Norlander. Yep. And the conference room that we were supposed to have wasn't available. So they walked us down to um, uh, this guy who I didn't know, uh, David McKillop's office. <laughs> and uh, Rob Miller kicks me under the table. He's kind of like, big guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, cool. Um, <laughs> Just to practice anyway. It, it, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And McKillop wasn't um, wasn't in the pitch. He was sitting off to the side. And then uh, he heard bachelor party and some other nonsense. <laughs> Parked and, up. And he turned around and he came over and then he started sitting in. And uh, um, and so now, we're, you know, we're pitching all three of them. And it was, we, we give the setup and uh, they're like, it's interesting. We put the tape in, we play the tape. And I could just tell, like, these guys uh, liked it. And, yeah, I hadn't really had that big of a reaction in a pitch before. So, um, I don't forget, Julian Hobbs <laughs> walks up, grabs the DVD out, and says, oh, I love it. Oh, we'll never get that name through, but I love it. Um, and credit. Yeah. And, and then we left. McKillop said, give me, you know, give me a second. I'm going to get a pilot ordered. Wow. And I'm like, right. I, I've been told things before, but he turned, I mean, we were not out to our next pitch before he called with the pilot. and uh, Really? Had you already pre-pitched it to True? We hadn't pitched it to anybody else. Okay, so and he took it off the table. Basically. And it was great because um, I we wanted that name. I wanted that right, name. Right. That was the whole badly, thing. Badly, badly, badly. And I didn't know Nancy at that point. <laughs> um, and if it had been anyone other than Nancy, I don't think we would have got that name. She cleverly, they have a process there um, where stuff goes through the board. Right. And she put it into the board as one name, Pawning History, and then it came out the other side, approved, and then she let us use the name. So oh, that's so. Yeah. That was the backup name. That was yeah. Pawning oh, History was God, the other name. What and a horrible name. It was great because the next. Can you imagine? Year, yeah, no. And Rob Sharonow said it was like the best marketing of of that year was that name. Love and, it. Yeah. So anyway, that's what a great long. story. So was it a hit out of the gate? No it 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 replaced a show that wasn't doing well. Um, and so the expectations weren't that high because the slot wasn't doing that well. And then it did, um, I mean, these are crazy numbers now, but it, it did like a one, three or one, four or something. Right. And, but it still, that wasn't a, it, it was right. a really For nice then, number. Yeah. Um, because it would then later at one point grow to over a, a four in the demo. Um, so it, it just steadily, steadily rose. Cause they did, they did no marketing for it because they, you know, they, they just, they, their, their marketing, which um, I came to agree with, with, once a show performed well, then they would throw their marketing yeah. in season two. Okay. And so they did, and they threw a lot of it in. So back to my original question. When they yeah. ordered it, did you already have the transactional format oh, element in there? No. So part the, the pilot was going out and figuring out. They asked me, "Does we like the historical element right. of the stuff. And I said, okay. Um, they said, does he know a lot about history? And I said, I think so, but let me find out. That's where we just got lucky as hell. Uh, he was just a savant. He's just fine. His, his his backstory, really quickly, is he had epilepsy as a kid, and he does a, a, a ton of epilepsy charity stuff now. And so, uh, you know, this is in the late seventies, early eighties. He was they, they didn't have the the same sort of treatment and everything they have now. So he would just sit at home and it locked in his room reading, and he would read and read wow. and read and read. So he is 
a bookworm, and 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 he also has just uh, an incredible sponge-like memory, um, and a, and a zest and a love of everything. Um, he's curious. He's very very curious. So we hit pay dirt. Um, but they were not they were not telegenic and ready to be on camera. Um, that was part of the appeal, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that was they didn't well, yes. seem like. You know, Hollywood actors ready for their close-up. They were no, just doing no, their job, and there were the cameras. That, that was absolutely part of it. We always talked about um, them being blue-collar historians, and I <laughs> yeah. remember watching it with my wife, who was involved in the project early on, and she's like, oh, my God, his fingernails are disgusting. Because <laughs> we're shooting tight shots right? of, of all That's the stuff funny. that he's handling. I'm like— that's it. This is a guy who literally just changed his tire. Like he's a, he's a right. real man. He's not getting and, manicures. And there and the other shows that were working that Tom Beers was doing were yeah. were like tough macho manly shows. Here was a chance to do something that was more laugh and learn. Yeah. And uh, and so yeah, I do think that their roughness helped them. Um, yeah. So in terms of the business side of it all, right? So that was probably you know we have there's so much to talk about. So I'm going to do like a little bit of. Rushing over some of really amazing yeah. accomplishments like that spawned into American Restoration, an amazing show, Counting Cars, all set in Vegas. It kind of became this cottage industry of left field Vegas shows. Yes. The business side of it also was exploding because Pawn Stars spawned its own sort of merchandising. You know, like when we went there, there was a whole merch section. And did you like I don't remember the timing of, you know, where we were as a culture in terms of, you know, networks making sure that they were. They were doing deals with talent and with companies that they were going to get percentages of merchandise. Was that sort of already in place or did that take off? Like, did you work at like, did you know that there was going to be that? Did you foresee it? And did you put that into your contract? (laughs) What's the honest answer? Uh, No, we, we, I negotiated the first couple contracts with, with the Harrisons and, uh, I was so focused on getting what history wanted on the talent fee side that, um, I horse traded and we didn't take any percentage of the merchandise. And um, at the end of the day, uh, I'm, I, 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 and I, I honestly mean this, like um, I'm glad we did it because that, and I'm not saying we shouldn't, we shouldn't do it in other yeah. instances, but every single party that was affiliated with that show from Jingle Punks, which it was their first big uh, song. They did the theme song okay. to left field who produced the show to Nancy, who was, you know, well on her way, but that certainly didn't hurt uh, her, her trajectory. Right. Um, to the Harrisons, who, you know, they, when you go in and do a show like that, you rip apart the infrastructure of the business. You take out all the key people and they have to work 50 right. hours a week for you. Right. And if that show didn't work like nine out of 10 shows, they wouldn't have got a penny. Um, so the That's fact that point. that was their sweat equity and that was their upside and they made a ton of money off of it. Um, was never jealous about it. Uh, and, and then sometimes we do get a piece and we'll horse trade back for something else. I, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in, you know, what, what I want to do with like my next chapter is like, I'll invest in these actual businesses, Mm -hmm. um, and help them prepare for the scale. Uh, and, and to me, that's exciting and in a way to, to not just be a TV producer, but to be entrepreneurial at the same time. But yeah. after that, I think I, I, I do the Bethany who we've worked with as well, like Frankel. hers. Yeah. Sorry. Bethany Frankel. Hers was the one that woke people up. Right. She, yeah. when she sold skinny girl, um, but she, she quite understands that Bravo, uh, was her platform was her platform and she's done so much else with them. And I think it, I, I believe honestly that it, everybody should kind of share in everybody's success. And, Figuring out how to do that, um, 
takes some, you know, creative people, but it also takes people being willing to allow others to succeed in partnership with them. Yeah, um, no, I agree. Before we move on, how many episodes of Pawn Stars have been produced? <laughs> like, do you even know? Oh, yeah, it's over 500, which was um, when we hit oh 250 God. or 300, Rick and I were like, we got to make it to 500. And it's it's been a creative way to get there. We've um, had to think about different ways to make the show as, yeah. the, as the ratings have dropped. Right. Well, um, across the board, yeah. you yeah. know, with every show, it's not yeah. like Pawn Stars. So what, what season are we in now? You know, I, I don't even know, like because <laughs> you know, there's the seasons that we think, and then contractual. Got but it, right? It has to be or how many uh, years? Yeah, we're we're in. Uh, it was '09, so um, <sighs> nine years. Incredible. Which, yeah, it's incredible for a for the same cast. You know, it's not yeah. a show that we've rotated people through. Yeah, um, it's pretty incredible. And you know why? Because the guys work hard. Like work we hard. were very fortunate to get talent who wanted to do the show and wanted to work, and also. Um, that don't have to leave their shop to do it. I mean, really, it's kind of amazing. So that's just incredible success. So what what always struck me about you before I really knew you was when I heard that you were, you know, you had those shows and that made you, you know, put you on the map, but you certainly weren't a mogul at that point. But yet you had decided, and I, as far as I know, to be the first one in our industry to do this, to start buying other companies and basically leveraging your own, you know, going into deficit financing. And I could be totally wrong. It's just what I remember at the time. No, that's exactly right. Yeah. Again, betting on yourself, saying I'm going to build my empire before it's an empire and make it into an empire. So that that blew me away, honestly, because it seemed so risky. It seemed really like if it paid off, it would be a brilliant. But if it didn't, you were an idiot, right? So is that like how how did you decide to do that? You no, know, everything you just said, especially the <laughs> idiot part, is accurate. Um, I I had met uh, a gentleman, Ed Simpson, who is 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 my strategic partner. Yeah. Um, I'd met him through production, and he was the only guy I had met, you know, up until that point who talked about the industry as a business and and talked about it as more than shows. And Ed had grown up making television in the UK and moved over mm-hmm. uh, a decade or, or a little bit more than that ago. And he and I randomly were together with some mutual friends one night. And uh, we kind of, my, my wife and my other friends joke about it because we kind of uh, went off to the side and all of a sudden we're like in this bromance mode um, where we were, where I was being educated by him of how consolidation works, how the UK market, which was ahead of ours, worked. And we came up with, you know, probably several drinks in this, this <laughs> concocted this plan to go borrow a ton of money. And you have to have a spouse who supports your craziness. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we didn't have any kids. So that was good. You know, it was good time. Yeah. Good timing. But um, so I, w- I went out. With Ed and uh, we were being advised by some great, uh, some great guys at ACF. Um, and that's like a financial. Yeah, sorry, they're investment income. bakers who broker a lot of these got deals. It. How they, did you decide who did you want? Like what companies? Like, I got introduced by the to those guys by Gary Auerbach, and and there wasn't anybody else doing what those guys were doing. No, no, I'm oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry. How did you decide which production companies you want? Oh, so well, first, just to go like to give you a little bit uh, more yeah. on that that sure. first question. Um, so it was hysterical because we were told that we could get, you know, we could get debt financing. Right. <clears throat> well, in the UK, you own your IP. Okay. So you're you're getting it. You you have something. Right. To um as collateral. Collateral. I can um. 
we had to meet 14 banks because we didn't own anything. Right. You know, our, our biggest partner was A&E and they, you know. That's, they owned everything. Yes. That's their business model. Yes. And we were <laughs> in, enjoying the volume and the success right. with them, but we didn't own anything. Right. So we, we had started the conversation with Sirens. I wanted to acquire a company that complemented ours that was uh, in, in as many buckets opposite us as right. possible. Right, and they were female. Yes, and- yes. So it was like boy meets girls. <laughs> right. um, and and Sirens, just so everyone knows, run by two women. They do Housewives in New Jersey. They do tons of true crime for ID. So, And they were doing really well <clears throat> at that time. Yeah, I'd met, I'd met Rebecca, um, uh, one of the two principals, on a panel and really just struck up a nice friendship. And, yeah. and they were located down in... Silver Spring. And I said, if you're ever up in New York, you know, we should have lunch. I was always a big believer in that we should be, we're, we have more in common. Yeah, don't compete. We're not competing. Not, yeah. So her and her and her partner, Val, uh, Valerie, were up in a meeting with a potential suitor. Um, it did not go well. And she just hit me up and said, you want to grab lunch? And we went out to have lunch. And uh, I really enjoyed them. Val is like this. They're both great in crime. But Val is like eats, drinks, and um, sleeps crime. And then Rebecca was more uh, it was more running the business and New Jersey, which uh-huh. is um, a whole business in itself. Um, so we we start going down the road. I don't even know if I've ever told them this story, but uh, I, we I, you know I, I was talking to them about you know saying we're going to buy the company because I assumed we were going to get the money because that's kind of what I was led to believe. Um, it took us fourteen different financial institutions to get to one that said yes. And then once once one said yes, then they go out and they do a club deal and they bring in a couple others. But that was I, we were sweating, and so now here I am. I've got no money in the bank, um, and we borrow forty million dollars, and I have to sign a personal guarantee. And um, and we you know we we talked about it with my wife, and we signed it, and uh, and then we went out and bought them. Um, Can I ask? A, I, I don't mean this offensively yeah. at all, but it's just my like at that point, did Sirens have more shows than than Left Field? Like in terms of like you were, you know what I mean? Like where you were sort of on equal footing. I mean, you had a huge, you had huge hits, obviously, but like it wasn't like you were an ITF or one, uh, ITV or one of these huge companies coming in. But they saw sort of the that they saw the vision too in terms of you growing this empire. Yeah, I think that doesn't offend you though, right? No, no. Okay, because uh, <laughs> it was balls. I see it as really ballsy. Yeah, no, we we were. Um, uh, EBITDA, which uh, was a word I didn't know yeah. what it meant before I got the I business. I watched Shark Tank, so. Yeah. No, our, I would say show-wise, we might have had a couple more, but I think okay. they had I think they had 10 series when we bought them, okay. was, give or take. Right. And I think we had maybe 12 or 13 or okay. something. Okay, got it. But uh, we were, it's it's crazy. Like, I was in the process of buying out a partner. Um, oh. And so we were making real money, but I, it was all going out the door. Right. So uh, we were probably about double the size of them in in, in profits. Okay. Um, and, and then when we bought them, so then all of a sudden we were, you know, 50% bigger. Right. But more importantly, we were in business with Francis and yeah. Henry, you know, right. at ID and, right. and all these guys. And so now I, I got to have relationships so with people that I didn't really have before. Yeah. I mean, right. And just brand wise, it just completely expanded your portfolio. Yeah. And we... and. We were just complimentary. I think like some of the stuff that they didn't really, that Rebecca Val didn't want to do, I like to do yeah. and vice versa. And that was the first time where we had that, we had a Bravo, um, I think it was a series uh-huh. or I can't remember if it was a pilot at the time, but it became okay. a series. And we had this, this woman who worked at Cyrus Forever, Lucilla yeah. and Rebecca taking a look at our cut and giving us their notes before it went to the network. 
Right. And then I remember doing the same thing with them for a Discovery series they had. Right. It was um, just like perfect complementary skills. Yeah. And it became what the ethos, the culture that we wanted to create, which yeah. was let's take the best and brightest and have them help each other. Yeah. You know, and collaborate. And then the next company was Loud that you Yeah. Got? So then we started Loud and Outpost shortly after. Loud with Nick yeah. Rigg, who had had a long history making a ton of, you know, House Hunters. Right. <clears throat> so then you got into that lifestyle, lifestyle brand, the scripts, there. and FYI of it all. Yeah, and then Jody Flynn came in, and she did. Uh, she was kind of more down the middle, but she ended up doing taking advantage of our relationships with history, right? And, and Jody, her I had great on the creative. Oh yeah, yeah. So <laughs> she's yeah. great. Everyone listen to Jody Flynn. Yeah, she. I was so impressed by her. And it was, it's cool having a woman running a company doing male programming too. It's just you wouldn't expect it. Yeah, I mean we. I think, and I, I could be wrong, but when I recently left ITV, I think we had five or six presidents, females, and then we had the three biggest departments in our company were run by females. So I always, and I've only really worked for females in my career, so it's, and, and having my wife work at the company forever, like, yeah. you know, we, I've, you know, You're knock, in your comfort zone yeah. there, too. That's awesome. Okay, so then at what point, you're buying up these companies, at what point does ITV come along. So we were competing with ITV, you know, but the, okay. the, our war chest was about half a billion dollars less. Um, <laughs> they, I, I had met kind of all of, all of the people that represented ITV and some of them were more bankers. And then I'd spent a little time with Paul Buccieri. Right. Um, he and I were just on a long train ride together and reminiscing. Um, mm -hmm. He and I uh, were at a discovery boondoggle back when. Uh, oh, I heard about yeah. those. I was very jealous. Yeah, those were the good old days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, for one reason or another, not, neither of us went on the fishing trip or whatever <laughs> it was. And we just hung out for about three hours on the beach. And, uh, you know, I got to know Paul pretty well. And he kind of told me what it, what it would be like. And it was great because I was also on the trip with other companies that were a part and had already been acquired. And so mm -hmm. I was hearing from these guys what it was like. Yeah. And I'm sure you were, many were circling at this point. So yeah, you, had, had, your, you we, had your choice. Yeah, we had talked to everybody. But we, you know, typically these things go out and you you auction them off and you negotiate with four or five different places. I really liked what Paul had to say. And then I got a chance to meet uh, the then CEO, this guy, Adam Crozier, who's still probably the most impressive person I've come across in, in, in the business. Um, maybe that's because he came from outside the business. Um, <laughs> but uh, they, so I said to our guys, you know, at ACF, like, the, let's do the deal with them if you can get, um, you know, and, and the guy said what he thought he could get. And I thought he was crazy. And then he pulled it <laughs> off. So um, can we say the number? I mean, it's Google. <laughs> yeah. So, so you sold 80% of your company for $360 million, which was that, is that and was that the biggest payout for that percentage ever in our business? I, I think in North America, I, 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 maybe, you know, I, I, I don't know for sure. I, you know, I know Talpa followed and was bigger than us um, uh, shortly after that. But I was adamant, adamant, adamant. Um, and we fought tooth and nail over not putting that number out there because. Uh, I, no, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Well, no, it's out now. And, and, right. and, because you you knew everything would change. Yeah. And I'll. Uh, yeah, and I, yeah, yeah. For for a bunch of reasons, <laughs> right? um, I mean, just because you, you know, I you seem like have, a humble. Well, we had kids, per, and, right? <laughs> you know, um, right. but but because they're a publicly traded company and it's a deal of that size, they had to. And wow. now we've decided that it wasn't the worst thing in the world because when we go to work with um, significant players from other fields or celebrities, it they, they know that you know we know how to build a business, and so you know it's been helpful, but. 
Yeah, that 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 number was. So when that, was, uh, guys, I really am fascinated by sort of how life changes in a minute, you know. And it's like, yeah, you were doing well and you had success and you could kept going on, and then this happens, right? And this is this is game changing money, right? Like you could have retired. I mean, depending on how you want to live your life or whatever. Is this? Are you just like going along like it's normal? Are you like not sleeping every night? Like turning into your wife, going like, is this a pinch me? Is am I like? You can't just. That's not so much money. No, it was. <laughs> what were you thinking? <laughs> um, I it, it was scary. It was really scary, yeah, and um, like it was real. Yeah, and, and I um, <laughs> I didn't know what to do. We I, I immediately pulled uh, a good friend out of a major major law firm. Um, <laughs> who had like all the security in the world working there wow. and said, and he was also a former CPA um, and, uh, and he's now the president of, of wheelhouse group, which is the nice. parent company to wheelhouse entertainment. And he, he, I, I always joke that I, I brought in my defense first. So yeah. he's a lawyer, he's a CPA. <laughs> right. And then we went out and we put all the money in these things called um, CDARs or some shit that you've never heard of that never even bankers of. have never heard of. It's you had to, we had to separate it over like thousands and thousands of different accounts because they're FDIC insured or some shit. Um, yeah, so I was scared shitless for <laughs> at least a year. And, and what was the fear? Just that it would go away, or I like the, the you know uh, the government would. T- I, I don't know. <laughs> it just I, I I never had money. I never had money. And when I sold the company, I had thirty thousand dollars in the bank. So. Um, <sighs> Because yeah. you were putting everything back in. We were, I was always putting it back in. Yeah. I go back to like that baseball card sh- yeah. story at the top. That's when I was like, wait a second. I, I can't be left holding. Um, I, at this point, though, I also knew that the, the waves were getting rockier and we needed to be a part of something bigger. Yeah. And ITV represented sort of the entrepreneurial spirit that I thought, you know, would, would match up best with what we were doing. Okay, so that happens. It's all over the trades. Um, you're going into pitch meetings. You're living your life. I got to imagine it was weird. Well, the first and people treated you, you know, in a way like I just curious what that next chapter looked like. It, it's funny. The next chapter looks like we we signed the deal. The money came into the bank accounts. It was it was mid morning. Yeah. <laughs> and my entire senior team went out to celebrate and I had to go meet Jordy Hockman um, at a, a green light meeting uh, or vision meeting rather at A&E. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting there. And I can't tell everybody, anybody, like, because it's not. Oh, it wasn't public yet. Yeah. You dying. And, and like, You're they're dying, all, they're all partying. I came right. back after the meeting. They were already, uh, you know, three sheets to win. I love it. But but that, but you're immediately, you know, you feel a debt to this company that yeah. just spent all that money to perform for these guys. Right. And anybody who's gone through this experience or works for a company with projections and right. forecasting <laughs> and all of that stuff. So, we, you know, we definitely took a hit for a little bit from networks and, you know, um, it took a little while to just make, for them to feel confident that we were still in it, that we weren't coasting. Yeah. Um, if anything, I think it made me more aggressive. Right. Because you had uh, to hit numbers and show them like, we're not slacking. Yeah. And I, the last thing I wanted to, you know, to do is like for that deal to be a bust. And, I, you know, overall, the overall market, um, that deal won't be a bust. I think it may take a little while longer for them to recoup uh, their investment, but you know the company is still doing very well. Well, then, yeah, at certain point, like a year later, ITV then bought the whole company. Yeah. So right. yeah. So basically, they when when Paul Bucciari left, um, uh, we had talked early on about you know if and when Paul were to leave, like because I come with a team, it's not just me. I've right. 
an incredible senior team. Yeah. And so when he left, it was like, all right, do you guys want to finish out left field early, um, sort that out, and take over uh, ITV America? Um, and was that something you were excited about doing? Yes, yes. It was a new challenge. Um, it it gave me the ability to work with um, some, of the, some of the other companies. Um, and, I, and also, I just felt like as a group, we needed to be as cohesive as possible, you know, to be able to go out to the market with uh, a pretty clear vision. Um, and yeah, it was it was a new challenge. I mean, it, it was a tremendous challenge. So what were some of the different ones? So then you became head of ITV in 2015, 2016? Uh, Good God. I, yes, 2015, 2015. Okay. What was the biggest change that you didn't expect when you went from, you know, left field to ITV, which is like yet another level? I think, I think, and I'm sure anybody that's taken over for somebody, a number two that's taken over for a number one, you, you start to realize what you didn't know before you were in the position and how much Paul, you know, sort of protected <laughs> us and then how much I would need to protect the the presidents of all the companies so they could focus, you know, keep keep them out of uh, as much of the corporate sort of stuff and, and, and make sure that they just focus on what we really need them to do, which is come up with great ideas and execute great, great ideas. And so it became it's a much more corporate job. That's what I was going to ask. Did you feel like uh, maybe this leads us to the next chapter? Yeah. Did you feel like you were getting farther and farther away from the creative stuff that was getting you excited? Y- yeah, I think. I, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, my my calls, you know, I'm sure it's the same with somebody running an agency like you go from being in the pitches um, to, you know, to following up. And like when when there's a big call that needs to be made, um, you're making that call. Although I would also defer the big calls to guys with better relationships. I mean, Adam Share has deeper, longer relationships with so many people in town than I do. So a lot of times it would be then going to Adam to say, can you make this call? Yeah. Interesting. So then, so I guess at some point you thought, I'm ready to start over again, but with a lot more money. (laughs) So what was that evolution? Well, you know, it, it, it was probably, um, you know, it was, it it was over the course of time. I think what I really believe now is the business model needs to fundamentally change and you can't, you can't apply that or try to change that when you're running a large organization like ITV America, you have to you know, you have to do your job and your job is to maintain and try to grow and try to build as much as you can out of the current portfolio. What I, what I want to do now is go out and, um, you know, I don't want to overstate this, but I think for a few of us that have, um, have the ability to take a little longer with what we want to do and have a, 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 you know, build a company in a little bit different way, which will take longer. I think it's a great opportunity to kind of go out and try to blaze a new trail for creating a different business model because we going back to the top of the conversation, like we are, our costs are going up to our suppliers uh, or to our networks and, and yet our profits are being driven down, you know, to almost into the red across the industry. And so that doesn't work, you know, <laughs> something's not working. Something's there. not working. So what's the model? So or what's the dream of the model? Yeah, I think we're going to we're going to try to do a few different things, but really, you know, you've seen over the course of history money from outside Hollywood come into Hollywood. Right. Like the film business. Like the film business, and then you've seen it happen more recently with the scripted business. Right. It's um, time. Yeah, and I, and and I'm going to build a a venture team, an investment team that will be well outside of TV that will actually work with the TV teams to go into these businesses and say 
we'll make an investment and then we'll actually go try to raise money to make the show. And so you'll and, do it. And this is what I've been talking about this for two years. So you basically do it like a movie, which is you raise the money, you make the series and then you essentially license it to streamers, premiums. Is that kind of my, yeah, I, I don't want to yeah, put words in your mouth. No, no, but that's, that what that's you're pretty at? close. That's okay. pretty close. The, the, no network notes, no, yeah. no pilots, no, yeah. you know. no, I think we want to look at it as, as the the TV stuff, the TV stuff that we'll try to do is the marketing arm for the businesses that we're investing in, and if we can prove that, then we can go when we do capital raises around the business, yeah. and say this money is going to marketing. It's not traditional marketing. It's making a TV show. And by the way, no, you know, look what Wahlburgers uh, has done for that brand. You know, look what Pawn Stars did for Gold right. Silver Pawn Shop, right? Um, or what uh, Cake uh, yeah, Cake Ace, Boss, right, yeah, yeah. So it, all of it. that's. That's the kind of yeah, idea. And, and then we, we'll probably try to do some more traditional, like, uh, you know, with an outdoor show, we can go to some of those guys and get right. some, you know, more sponsorship. Yeah, money. But, of course. But, so, you, so you're looking at the branded content and... Yeah, I, I hate those two words together. <laughs> I um, still don't know what it means. Yeah, can you explain it to me? <laughs> I don't like short form digital and I don't like branded content. I, Web series. I, unless they're an incubator for talent yes, and, and long form stuff. Um, we we want to go make great shows that would have been on TV anyway and and but have taken a bunch of risk at the front end of them and have some sort of revenue that's outside of a production fee. Okay, so let me ask you this. I mean, what's to stop you from starting a Netflix or an Amazon? I mean, you have the deep pockets, you've got the the track record. Like what about doing that where you become your own supplier and you know, yeah, I think. Well, producer. yeah, we're we're well <laughs> off um, the six billion dollars a year programming, but um, no, I, I we do believe that if we can prove some of this, that we can become a buyer. Yeah, um, uh, not necessarily a platform, uh, but a buyer from our friends of yes. the shows that fit into our model. Got it. And then we, you know, I think if we can go build something like an ITV America or something that's a a group of you know that covers a, a bunch of different types of programming then maybe we have a special partnership with a platform or maybe we can go raise money to, yeah. to buy a platform. Um, you know, I look at what ITV has done in the UK and, and the relationship between the network and the studio. And, uh, you know, if I would love to build a big studio here that could have some partnership with a platform. Yeah. And, you know, partnerships, I think, is, is the key word there because, you know, in our business now, it feels... You listen to the top people in scripted talk about the Ryan Murphys, you know, yeah. of the world, and it's with such reverence. And we're as unscripted producers often looked at. Well, this is what we pay. We pay two fifty yeah. an hour. Well, why? Why? Yeah. What? Like, what if your track record as a producer absolutely is sixty percent, and my track record is twenty five percent? Why shouldn't you get more? Absolutely. Do you, um, I mean, the big rap now is that things are getting greenlit faster in scripted than they are in unscripted. Yeah. Are you looking to do scripted too? We will. We yeah. will. We're, I, I want to, you know, wheelhouse Less. entertainment will. Do all wheelhouses. <laughs> it'll have all these different um, spokes around it. Yeah, and, nice. And the first one spoke studios on unscripted. But we're going to want to be very close to talent. Yeah. And, and, and figure it. out what that means. And then we're going to want to be in scripted because when, when a project comes in, um, I want to be able to, you know, think look about what's the, all. yeah, what's exactly. the best way to tell this story? Totally. And agree. are there, look at all the OJ stuff last year. Like, exactly. There's room for all of it. Yeah. Or there's the scripted series with a two hour doc leading into it. Like they did with like the cocaine godmother thing, yeah. you know, which exactly. of course I watched the whole thing. Um, <laughs> so I'm excited. This is exciting. Like it, I do feel all lit up again. Like, a, like you, like, 
like you could have uh, felt 10 years ago? I, I feel um, I, I'm so excited every day. We, Aww. you know, we're we're investing in different businesses that are well outside of TV. So that's kind of fun because I always love learning. Um, and, you know, we want to go back also to a little bit of the um, pageantry of the pitch process. You know, when I hear the people are. Yeah, we want. I, I you want to parade like Trump in the <laughs> street? <laughs> <laughs> Let's roll off the carpet. I knew we want to get through without Trump. I know. It's you my problem. No, I, it's, Nobody it's, can. It's a sickness. So let me, we, I, we're running out of time, but I want to get to two stock questions that I ask yeah. everyone, or at least I try to. So my first question is, what is your, and you've talked about a lot, so I'm curious if you can narrow it to one. What is your proudest professional accomplishment? I always say professional because everyone says they're kids. So we just, we <laughs> cut that right out. No kids, no kids allowed. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would say, I would, I would have to say it's building the team I built. I think, oh. um, and uh, the the way that they work together, and you know, ITV now, I'm leaving it with uh, a great, you know, talented guy and David George to take over, and then you know, a really deep bench. Um, and so, to me, the fact that we worked so well together, um, had so much fun together, and uh, you know, went through, you know, went to battle together. Uh, and, and, you know, getting people to stay around after you've had an event and, you know, the fact that we were able to keep the band together, um, was probably my proudest. You have any regrets? Um, yeah, I don't know if I'll be able to think of one right off the top. I'm sure I watch, um, you know, the usual ones that all all the hit shows that we, we thought of, but we (laughs) we never actually went out and did anything about, um, got it. Did you ever pass on anything a producer brought you that went on to be big? No, I don't, I don't think so. Isn't that great that you don't have to think like, oh, well, the it, Kardashians could have been ours? It might just mean that uh, the, the, we weren't getting <laughs> pitched the good stuff. <laughs> That's funny. This has been so great. Oh, this is awesome. I'm, I'm so appreciative you had me. I think people will be very excited to, to hear how one becomes a big success like yourself. So. Oh, well, thank you very much. This is a lot of fun. 